0: Welcome to the G3 Podcast. I'm Virgil Walker. I'm here with Josh Bice. Man, we're excited about this episode of the podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking about a number of different things. Before I jump into the kind of the topic, the subject matter, uh, the ground that we're going to cover, Josh, it is, I mean, we're right up on the holidays. Yeah. Are you, you got Turkey any, Day, yeah, man? You got you got <laughs> you got anything special planned for the holiday, man?
1: Always, yeah. Food, food, family, family, football, football. There you go. Yeah, I'm not gonna, yeah. I'm not gonna jump into that. That's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I'm just being honest. You asked the question. Yeah, I'm no, answers.
0: I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, my daughter's coming to town, so we're Great. excited about that. We're gonna spend some time with family, so it's gonna be good. We hope you have a fantastic holiday and uh, enjoy some food, some family fellowship and definitely some football.
1: Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean traditions are are always important as we think about spending time with family and being able to you know, not only just in that moment but just marking those years. Yeah. I think that's always important. Yeah. Being able to look back and build those memories, children growing up in the home you know, the smell of food being cooked in the kitchen and then, you know, the fellowship that happens around the table. But, you know, it's it's always important for us as Christians to remember when we gather with an extended family Mm. and have those opportunities to say what it is that we are thankful for, not in a cheesy way, but in a very intentional way to say, you know, we are grateful for this nation. We're grateful for the, you know, the privilege to live in a nation where we can have, you know, privileges like this freedoms like yeah. this to be enjoyed yeah uh but but most importantly we're thankful for the gospel yes. and the hope that we have in christ i absolutely. think that that's critically important absolutely
0: absolutely all those are great things as we talk about food and and uh gathering together we we want to kind of tee up a conversation about something that i don't believe uh in, in my estimation and, and we'll flesh this out just a bit we often don't take very seriously, yeah. and, and that is through, the, through uh, the, Lord's, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, and worship. Yeah. Uh, we don't think about what that looks like often, and I think there's just a diminished view. I think so. There's absolutely a diminished view. So why don't you tee the conversation up for us, Josh, and yeah. kind of walk us through your thoughts about how we should approach uh, the, the Lord's table.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you just look at the average church, uh, I think the average church, if we're honest, mm-hmm. across evangelicalism, has a diminished view, a superficial view of the Lord's table. And, you know, we're going to be, you know, you just mentioned we're going to be gathered with our families at a Thanksgiving table where we chart memories and we enjoy that time of fellowship. But there's a greater table that we come to as believers, and we do that on a, you know, on a regular basis. We're commanded to, according to Scripture, uh, to do this for the purpose of remembering the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. And right. this is, uh, and it should be, the culmination of our worship time together. It should not be something that we just tack on to the end of a worship service. But if we're honest, if we look at, at evangelicalism as a whole, there's a diminished view, really an unhealthy view of yeah. the Lord's table. Yeah. And so you see pastors that are engaging in what we might call just open communion practices where they're just indiscriminately just serving everyone that comes that day, the Lord's Supper. Um, And then, of course, you see uh, just really a a lack of fencing the table to give directions as to who should and who should not approach the Lord's table. And so we need to really think through what is happening at the Lord's table? Who should be participating? Who's welcomed? Who's not welcomed to the Lord's Supper? And how should we practice this on a, on a regular basis? What's the frequency, perhaps? You know, we need to talk about that as yeah. well.
0: As I, as I kind of th- thought through as we began kind of putting this together, I thought through kind of my experiences in this regard, and uh, either in, in, you know, in, in an SBC church uh, or even in Pentecostal churches, I'll be honest, I cannot remember... Uh, when I, during my Pentecostal days, us even having, uh, a time set aside uh, to experience the Lord's table. I, I, I really can't recall that, uh, or in, or in very many, or in, in many charismatic circles definitely was not a focus at all. SBC days absolutely was, but I think the problem is, and this is not indicative of the, of the church that I attended. Uh, this is just indicative of, of what I think the way that we operate with this, it was almost an inconvenience. Like it, it was it was something that and, and I again, I don't say this to besmirch any any individual or any any previous church that I attended. But I think, you know, it's done it so infrequently that it's an extra part of the, the worship service that you're uncomfortable adding to. So it's, you know, oh, we've got to get all these deacons to get together. They've got to prepare everything and. Man, it's just an inconvenience and you kind of, kind of labor into it. And there's no real thought around the, the points that you made, the significance of it, why we're doing it, it being the culmination of a worship service. So all of those things are missing, I think, when, when, when you engage in an infrequent approach to the Lord's table.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think so and and I think that we need to recover the importance of the Lord's table, you know, when we gather for worship. And I think that we need to also quite honestly, I think pastors would do themselves well and their churches well if they would actually spend some time maybe on their pastors retreat at the end of the year and just think through the frequency and and how they're approaching the Lord's table in the in the context of their local church on a regular basis are they not doing it you know on a regular basis and then of course ask the question of you know are they approaching it with a, a sober mindedness right. So the, the genuine heart of worship is, is uh, you know, is there. They're worshiping in spirit and in truth at the Lord's table. Or is it merely just a check box that they're checking yeah. to say, well, we've done this and we've done it once a quarter, right. okay? And right. so now we can just move along. Right. Like you said, it's sometimes viewed as, as an awkward thing. Mm-hmm. Like we're having to eat this bread and drink this cup mm-hmm. And we're doing it in the context of the church. Now we've got to figure out a way to, to go through the the distribution process, the praying process, and oh no, there's awkward silence here. What do right. we do? Because we've got to fill that silence right. up, right? Something, yeah. With sound. Yes. You know, something has to be happening. I and mean, that's often you know? what happens. And so it's a diminished view. I'll
0: say, I'll say this too. I mean, in coming to Praise Mail and, and you know, and experiencing kind of going from an from an infrequent approach to a frequent approach, a weekly approach there was some adjustment that that had to take place, you know, in my own life and my own thought and walk with, with regard to how, how we as a family approach that. Uh, And then just thinking through, you know, what does this mean? And how how do we, how do we examine ourselves? How do we mentally prepare even the, even the Saturday night before Sunday morning, all of those things are things that we had to as a family kind of flush out.
1: Yeah. 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 So I think, um, you know, if we think about church history and we look at how the early church practiced the Lord's table then I think it would do us well to then examine our own selves in light of that. Not only the biblical history of the the Lord's table itself, we see Jesus coming together with his with his inner circle, and they're observing Passover, Passover right. which is the oldest of the Jewish feasts, right. on the night prior to his crucifixion, mm-hmm. which was really uh, extremely important because if you think about the history of the Lord's Supper you have Jesus doing what the Jews were commanded by God to do which is to observe Passover which is remembering how God had saved his people from the heavy hand of Pharaoh and of course the the bondage that they had experienced in Egypt mm-hmm. and they're observing that oldest of the Jewish feasts on the night before Jesus is crucified, where Jesus not only obeys the law right. by observing this this feast, but he also does what? He initiates this Lord's Supper right. meal right. that should be observed among the gathered church to right. remember what? God saving his people from the bondage of sin and calling them out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ to be gathered in the context of a local assembly that we know as a church. Yeah. And so he's literally connecting his life and death, eventual death, to what the children
0: of Israel actually experienced through the process of Passover. There's a direct exactly right. connection. Yeah, yeah, direct
1: connection where he's saying that basically he would be offered up as the the Lamb of God, right. and and obviously there's this this new covenant connection where he says that the blood is the new covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. Mm-hmm and so extremely important as we think about the history but then you look at the the way in which the church would practice the lord's table you can go beyond that moment to acts 2 Soon thereafter, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and his ascension, you see the early church gathered in Acts 2, 42-47, and you see that they're gathered doing what? Under the teaching of the apostles, and they're breaking bread together. There's two mentions of breaking bread together, the first of which is the Lord's table. And then the second would have involved Christian koinonia right. and the fellowship of the gathered church in right. their homes right. and, and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. But you, it's really important to see that the early church, soon thereafter, Jesus' initiation of this meal, mm-hmm. they're gathered in the context of worship mm-hmm remembering the very body and blood of Christ no longer connected to the sacrifice of animals, no
0: longer connected to a Passover meal it's it's the idea understanding the clarity by which we we now know Christ is the Lamb yeah. that was slain for the sins of the world right absolutely so that's that's the if, in my mind as I, as I even think about it as we talk about it, that significance should weigh very heavily on the on the New Testament believer. Mm-hmm. We are connected to all of what we saw in the Old Testament through this unique you know, circumstance where Christ, make, Christ himself makes that connection for us. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, he does.
1: And then you know, you can trace out throughout church history, you can see the importance by which the early believers are, are, are responding to God's word mm-hmm. and how they practice the Lord's table. I mean, if you think about the average evangelical church today can say, well, we practice the Lord's table. A lot of churches, um, once a quarter, sure. And then when do they do it? On Sunday evening. So right. once a quarter, Sunday evening, probably the the least attended service that they hold, mm-hmm. and so you have the fewest people there. Right. And so obviously, um, there's probably some issues that we need to work through there, right? In terms of the health of the church, yeah, and the way a low, we it's
0: just a low value. Yeah. Right? It's it's a
1: diminished view. Yeah. Of of the
0: significance of what we're talking
1: about. Sure. Yeah. But then again, you go back to church history, and you can see if we were to start rattling off names Mm -hmm. that people might have remembered from their study of church history, like say if we talked about Nicholas Ridley Mm -hmm. or Thomas Cranmer, Mm -hmm. or if we talk about uh, Hugh Latimer, Mm -hmm. if we talk about John Rogers, or if we talk about a name that's perhaps even more familiar to us in an American context, if we say the name Jonathan Edwards, Mm -hmm. do we know how those individuals are connected to this very subject of yeah. the Lord's table. But most, most don't. And then, and then, two. I,
0: I. Truth be told, I didn't understand the weight of the significance until we went and took our trip. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So here we are. Just recently, we're able to engage in, in the you know 2023 G three church history tour yeah. the uk reformation yeah, tour, reformation tour yeah. and so here we are walking these streets yes. in these various places and we're we're talking about these historic individuals like john rogers who is john rogers well john rogers was the the pupil if you will of william tyndale he served under tyndale and assisted him in his translation of the bible into the english language Tyndale is arrested. He's excommunicated. He's hunted down by the Roman Catholic Church. He's strangled and burned at the stake as an enemy of the state, as an enemy of the Roman Catholic Church. And, and the reason was because of his translation of the Bible into the English language. Right. Now, providentially, John Rogers would gather all of his work in the Old Testament, which he was unable to finish at that point. And he would complete his work in the Old Testament, and then he would uh, really, in many ways, he would commend his teacher, William Tyndale, at the end of Malachi, before you turn the page over into the New Testament in the Matthew Bible, which he worked under a false name. John Rogers would place WT there to just, in many ways, honor the man who had gone before him. So the Matthew Bible is complete, and so that was the work of John Rogers. But John Rogers would be arrested and he would be excommunicated and he too would be burned at the stake. He was burned under the authority of Bloody Mary, Queen Mary I. And it was in February of fifteen fifty-five at Smithfield on the outskirts of London that he would he would face his death. He would go march down the street, he would be given one last opportunity to recant. He would be attached to the stake. He would be burned. In fact, when we stood there, if you'll remember, there was that old building that's just off to the, the left of that marker on the wall at Smithfield yes, that yes. talks about the martyrs. Yes. It was stated that since John Rogers was the first of the Marian martyrs, mm-hmm. the, Protest, the, the Protestants to be burned at the stake, Bloody Mary went to that very building and in the second floor looked out the window mm-hmm to watch as John Rogers was burned that day. Now, as we think about that, if you go to Fox's Book of Martyrs and you read about the account of John Rogers, you can go to other accounts and you can read stories of which he saw his youngest child... Uh, of the eleven children for the first time yeah. as he's being led to the stake. His his children, like a little band of of cheerleaders, were caring for their father as they were, you know, assisting him to the stake. His wife embraced him and and basically kissed him goodbye and said, Whatever you do, do not recant. Wow. I mean, just powerful stories. Yeah. But in Fox's book of martyrs, what we see is that he wasn't burned at the stake like William Tyndale for his work in translating the Bible into English. Mm-hmm. He was actually excommunicated and he was burned at the stake because he was unwilling to embrace the doctrine of transubstantiation of the Roman Catholic church. Mm-hmm. So it was the doctrine of the Lord's table. Right. right. Critically important for us right. to understand that. Right. And then of course you would have other individuals. You would have Thomas Cranmer. You would have Nicholas Ridley. You would have Hugh Latimer who would be arrested, spend some time there at the Tower of London in London, and then, of course, they would be uh, transported over to Oxford where they would be tried, where they would be burned publicly in the streets. We stood there in the marker there in the streets of Oxford where these men were burned. And they were burned for what reason? Again, it was for that very same thing because they rejected the Roman Catholic's doctrine of transubstantiation. Mm-hmm. Now, what is transubstantiation? Yeah, transubstantiation right. is the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church that teaches that upon the blessing of the priest at the Lord's table, that the elements of the Lord's table, right. of the Mass, right. actually are transformed into right. the right. actual body blood and, blood. and the actual blood of right. Jesus. Right. And so what this as, as if a
0: priest could command Christ to come down? Yeah, absolutely and, and be, be you know, put to death all over again.
1: Which is the, the whole issue, right? That's why these men like Rogers, like Latimer, like Ridley, like Cranmer, all of these individuals were unwilling to, embrace that doctrine because they considered it to be blasphemy. In fact, if you read J.C. Ryle on the subject, he said that was the crucial issue. Mm -hmm. Did they or did they not believe that upon the blessing of the priest that the actual elements of the table turned into the actual body and blood of Christ? Did they or did they not believe it? If they did not, if they rejected it, they were burned. That's what what J.C. Ryle says of that historic account. So, the doctrine of the Lord's Supper matters. Yeah, yeah. And so we should never approach the Lord's Supper flippantly or in a shallow fashion, yeah. or as I've seen pastors do in years past, just have deacons at the back door at Christmas Eve right. to hand uh, you know, little baggies to their church members as they exit to say to them, go and practice the Lord's Supper in your home on Christmas Eve with your family because right. it's such a special moment. Right. That's just not the way we should approach the Lord's no, table. That's not the person. When I, I mean, I think about
0: those stories, and, and again, as you unpack that, it just takes me back to where we were, where, where we stood in those spaces, mm-hmm. where where those events took place. And I mean, it's just it's breathtaking to think about. I think I think what washed over me was was how flippant, even even for my own self, how 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 little I thought of, or how little I thought about. Uh, it's probably a better way to say how little I thought about. This particular doctrine, yeah. uh, I think. I think it's probably evident to, to a lot of people that that we, you know, this is something you know either on a Christmas uh, uh, event or uh, maybe once a quarter we kind of throw on the end. I, I can't think of many who would say, you know, what this is. This doctrine is so important; it's willing to. Uh, it, it's something I'd be willing to die for. Yeah, um, and and so we, we definitely have a low view, com- comparatively speaking, of uh, of this. Uh, you know, the doctrine of 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 the Lord's table compared to the men who understood it who really wrapped their minds around it. And so, uh, again, I I was grateful for the opportunity to go into those spaces and places. And I think what it did as I came back, as I returned, it just just made me grateful for how we're connected. And again, it's another expression of how the body of Christ through this one act in worship on the Lord's Day is connected not only in in, in in time, but even through eternity, all the way to the point at which Christ instituted mm. this very this very doctrine. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, and then you know, if we think about. Churches today, and sometimes pastors come into churches too quickly and and, and they 'll be you know fast to 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 try to move the church in a specific direction. Yes, I mean yes. you talked about coming into the life of this church and yep. what you 've seen yep. um, you know we did make some changes. Yep. I came into the life of this church, and again i had grown up here as a as a boy and grew into a man in the context of this church, went away to seminary, pastored out out of state for about seven years, and then came back home. But in the context of this church, upon arrival here as pastor, seeing the church through new a new lens, if you will, mm-hmm. in, in, for, for, from a shepherding lens, right. and and seeing that we were only practicing the Lord's table once a quarter. Mm-hmm. And then soon thereafter, we would move to the first Sunday of every month. Mm-hmm. But then over the course of about 10 years— Studying this doctrine, thinking about the the importance of this doctrine, not seeing anywhere in Scripture that it mandates that we practice the Lord's Table every week, right. but being convinced that if we do practice it every week, mm-hmm. that it will be something that will benefit our church greatly yeah. in terms of the, the vertical approach. Mm-hmm. We're coming before the one true and living God. We're remembering the very body and blood of Christ, but also that horizontal yeah. aspect. Yeah. That we're able to examine ourselves, not only in terms of, you know, sin that we've committed against God, but division even within the life of the church. It roots that out weekly. It does. You know, and it, it, and it causes us yeah. to, to actually be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. As I think about as as
0: both my wife and I, as we come to to church and we think about the fact that we know on a weekly basis we're going to engage uh, in the Lord's table, it, we th- we think about our, our our relationship with one another. Is there any issue Are there any issues that we need to uh, examine or talk about or discuss? And we 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 walk through those things. And uh, there's been a time or two where right before the Lord's table, she'll bump me, "Hey, I, you know." Yeah. I apologize for this or, you yeah. know, and, and it, those are the kinds of things uh, that, that need to happen sure uh, as a result and, and, and the life of, of our family our church family uh, and, and the like so I'm, I'm grateful yeah. that we do that it, it was something to adjust to though you know it's, sure. a, it's an adjustment once a quarter once a month which is kind of my, the, the pattern that we were used to but going from that you know the once a, once a, uh, a month to um, weekly, uh, and and knowing that that is the the way we position it, it's the crescendo of the entire service. Yeah. After we've sang and prayed and confessed and repented and and heard the you know heard the, the word of God read and you know all of those pieces, Man, it's it's a it's a joyful experience at the yeah. end as we come to the culmination of the and and then it's fenced. You you mentioned the importance of fencing the table, and uh, even that. I mean, I think people look at that as a. You know, well, we we don't necessarily want to do that. We don't want to we don't want to offend anybody that's come. But I think the way that we do it, it provides an opportunity. There be many times where, you know, I'll I'll lean over to my son. You know, how's your how's you know how's your walk? Where are you? Have you, you know repented of sin? And so, you know, just having the opportunity to engage even your family in the gospel as as the the table is as as we're preparing to to participate in the table. It's an awesome thing. Sure, it really is.
1: You have to think through whether you're going to practice the Lord's table in you know a closed fashion a close fashion mm-hmm. or an open view of the Lord's table and so you know the closed view would say unless you're a baptized member in good standing within this church you're not invited to worship with us at the Lord's table the 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 close communion view which is what we hold to would say both members baptized members in good standing within this church as well as guests of ours mm-hmm. who are baptized followers of Christ in good standing within their local church, then they are permitted to worship with us at the Lord's table as well. And then, of course, the open communion view would be basically anything goes. So there's no fencing that takes place. Everyone who comes into the life of the church on that Lord's day is served the Lord's Supper. And there's really no clear directive given to the church that would prohibit certain people from approaching the lord's table. Right. Again, we just need to think earnestly about about what that looks like yeah. and so you know, I'm mindful of of the importance of of this doctrine. Mm-hmm. Now when people Again, as I stated a moment ago, sometimes people will come into the life of a church and they'll be, you know, so quick to to try to change the church on a specific doctrinal issue right. that they end up causing controversy, right. a church split happens. <laughs> right. And it might not even be the Lord's Supper table. Typically it's not. It's right. you know, typically when you hear of pastors getting ran off from their churches, it's typically over like Calvinism versus right. Arminianism, right. or something of that nature, right. um, or some worship war that happens right. in the church, absolutely, yep. but it's typically not the Lord's table. Right. But if I talk to you about Jonathan Edwards, when you hear that name, what do you think of? Yeah,
0: preaching. I mean, yeah. I think about all the th- theology. I think about those kinds of I don't, sinners I, in the hands of I an angry God. Kind of, yeah, for yeah. sure. I don't. I don't necessarily think about about the Lord's table at all. Yeah.
1: So in in if you go back and you study in seventeen forty nine you know, Jonathan Edwards had been pastoring his church for 20 years. And his grandfather, Solomon Stoddard, had pastored the church before him. And so here he is in in Massachusetts. He's pastoring this church. His grandfather had served the church for many years before him. So you, you just think about that. He comes into the church as the beloved grandson of the beloved pastor, he has a lot of change in his pocket, Right, day number one. Right, And then he's probably, arguably, the most brilliant theologian that America has ever produced. And he was greatly used in his powerful preaching, like sinners in the hands of an angry God. How many people were converted because of the faithful preaching of this man? Absolutely, yeah. But what you have is you have a controversy that erupts in the life of the church because Solomon Stoddard had been holding to and had, you know, throughout the, the time of his ministry that predates Jonathan Edwards' pastoral ministry, had held to a, a doctrine called the halfway covenant. And so he held to this idea that that basically, uh, you know, people could come into the life of the church, although not converted yet, that they could approach the Lord's table and that it was a it was a saving ordinance. Oh wow! So that Solomon Stoddard was teaching his church that you know if an unconverted person that wasn't living in open rebellious sin right. and was seeking the Lord right. could approach the Lord's table, and it was a means by which it would lead them to full conversion. Right. So so actual, so actual participation in the table and 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 taking of the of the elements was salvific to some degree. It was salvific, or it was leading them to. Conversion. Interesting, and so, um, and that was the the position that Jonathan Edwards would hold to as well, because he was discipled by his grandfather, and Mm -hmm. of course he would he would then hold to that position as well. Over the course of twenty years, he would come to see that is not in line with Scripture, and so he would start struggling with this. He would start writing on this issue. He writes a letter to a man in Scotland. uh, It was dated uh, a letter, May 20th, 1749, where he writes the following, quote, "'A very great difficulty has arisen between my people relating to qualifications for communion at the Lord's table. My honored grandfather, Stoddard, my predecessor in the ministry over this church, strenuously maintained the Lord's Supper to be a converting ordinance and urged all to come who were not of scandalous life,' Though they knew themselves to be unconverted, I formally conformed to this practice, but I've had difficulties with respect to it, which have been long increasing till I dared no longer proceed in the former way, yeah. which has occasioned great uneasiness among my people and has filled all the country with noise." Wow. End quote. Wow. Now, the interesting thing about that is that you, you can— since both his respect for his grandfather Absolutely. I I noted that immediately and his love for the church. Absolutely. And his his sadness in the fact that this has caused yeah. a division within the church. Absolutely. Now what would happen after that would be that Edwards would write a book uh, that would be titled An in Humble Inquiry into the rules of the Word of God concerning the qualifications requisite to a complete standing and full communion in the visible Christian church,
0: well, I had some titles, didn't I? Doesn't
1: sound like one that's typically published in today's no. <laughs> Christian world, right? Oh No, no, no uh-uh. yeah. So he would write this book, and then by 1750, uh, you know, the next year, Edwards decided, you know what? Every Thursday at two o'clock in the afternoon, I'm just going to lecture in the church for whoever wants to come on the subject of the Lord's table. That's good. More people, in terms of visitors. Mm-hmm. Then his local church actually started coming to those lectures, yeah. so he had far more visitors than members. Yeah. And then eventually, the the division would would come to a boiling point to the to to the point that they would finally just take a, a vote of confidence on Jonathan Edwards. And so, after twenty years not not two months, right. not three months of an right. uncaged right. sort of you know cage stage Calvinist right. here, right. we're talking about a brilliant theologian yeah. who understood you know, not only uh, and was well-versed theologically, Mm -hmm. but could also teach with great precision Mm -hmm. after 20 years Mm -hmm. of laboring for the souls of these people. On the subject of the Lord's Table, this controversy had come to a boiling point, and so they took a vote. Only 10% of the church voted to keep Jonathan Edwards. Mm -hmm. 90% of the church voted to dismiss him as pastor. So in short... Potentially, the greatest theologian that America has ever produced, Jonathan Edwards, mm. was fired after 20 years in the, in the life of his church over the doctrine of the Lord's table. Unbelievable. So this is something that we need to think about. Yeah. Men being burned in the streets, saying goodbye to 11 children and his wife, John Rogers. Others, the same exact story could be told because of the doctrine of the Lord's table. And then we would dare as Baptists say, it's too cold tonight, I can't go to church, right. or it's too rainy tonight, I right. can't go to church to observe the Lord's Supper. Unbelievable. You think about that again, the pattern that, that I
0: mentioned, the infrequency, the low view, even the blasphemous things that have taken place with the Lord's Table. I was thinking about the, the under, during the Trayvon Martin case and all of that, how, you know, he had some Skittles and you know, some iced tea and there were people giving, I mean, with the low view that they had of, uh, with a low view that so many people had of, of the Lord's table to begin with, and then to blaspheme it in that way right. with, with, you know, iced tea and Skittles, yeah. Like yeah. what point are you trying to make with something like that? You
1: know? Yeah. I mean, even through COVID we saw, you know, churches that were not gathered together. So they would do what they yeah. would just encourage their members to, to take, you know whatever they had in their homes, yep. and just sit there in the living room, and and the pastor would lead them digitally, right, to observe the Lord's <laughs> Supper. Right, it's unbelievable. It's yeah. It, I mean, the the challenges with that, the
0: fact that we we're not. It's a it's not a, It's a low view of Scripture. It's a low view of of really an understanding of what the doctrine is all about. And I I have to admit I've been absolutely guilty of of that as well. But but again, coming here, g- growing in this, gaining an understanding. Is helpful and recognizing, even as you as you mentioned, uh, the process was not a rapid one. It was one that was slow, methodical, thought through, uh, and something that uh, that now I have a great adoration for. Great, uh, it's a richness to our family and the experience that we have as a result. Uh, and I think that's how it should be.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. And and of course, as we think about you know this ministry and this ministry exists for the encouragement and the edification of local churches and pastors. We would not encourage pastors to just flippantly just say, well, this church, you know, Praise Mill, for instance, or right. G3 is encouraging that we observe the Lord's table every week, so we're just going to yank our church in this direction. <laughs> right. We would encourage pastors to be diligent yeah. and careful yeah. and, you know, approach this with a great deal of maturity mm-hmm. and with the, the love and care as a shepherd should for the local church yeah. that he's, you know, overseeing and caring for. But also to look at the scriptures and to search the scriptures and say, how should we be observing the Lord's table? Why are we doing it the way we're doing it? Perhaps maybe we should think about changing some things and being honest with the church about that and doing it in a careful, methodical, intentional way. That honors the Lord. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we, you've written about this on uh, on our website. Definitely
0: want to encourage folks to go check that out at g3men.org. Uh, I also want to encourage you to join us, as we uh, are excited about what we have coming up here next year. We've got a number of ways that you can connect with us. Uh, the first of which actually is January seventeenth and eighteenth for an expository preaching workshop uh, that we're going to be having. You just don't want to miss that one. It will be in Newport Richie, Florida. Uh, so, if you're in the area or nearby or can get there, definitely want to participate uh, in that as well. Uh, we also have the Reformation Conference. Man, if you've not signed up for this, you're absolutely missing this. In fact, this week, I'm looking at, I'm looking at Laramie, our producer here, to be sure we've got, uh, we've got some, some uh, discounts coming, right? some discount codes. And Black Friday, you don't want to miss because we're going to have a, is it 20%? Yes. Yeah, for the, for the conference. He's nodding. Okay. So I got the yes and amen on the, on the 20% discount. Uh, on Black Friday, man, get on the computer. When that opens up, you'll definitely want to take advantage of it. Use the discount code that's there. It'll be posted in social media. You'll be able to see that. And uh, we definitely want you to take advantage of that. Go to g3men.org uh, and, and register. Uh, it's going to be at South Lake, Texas, May 9th through the 11th at Countryside Bible. Man, I just came back from that that campus, man. It is absolutely beautiful. yeah, Absolutely beautiful. And uh, we're going to do some fantastic things there. Uh, our dear friend Tom Pennington is there. Uh, we're going to have some fantastic speakers. You just, just get on the website, check it out. You don't want to miss it. In addition, I mentioned the conference, 20% off Black Friday sale for the conference. Definitely engage in that. But in addition, everything, everything on G3 Press is 40% off, a 40% off discount. That's big. It's big. So you want to take full advantage of that, maybe get an early Christmas gift for the like. But jump on and see what would be beneficial to you as a local church pastor, as a member of a church who wants to just grow in some of the things that we've talked about and had our conversation about today. Lastly, you mentioned, you know— uh, pastors thinking through this thing methodically and the like um you'll want to you'll definitely want to want to get on and download the app download the g3 app tons of resources articles all kinds of things that we can that that, that will help you as a local church pastor unpack some of these issues these doctrines i think it'd be tremendously beneficial to you just anything that we that we need to cover as we kind of wrap things up
1: No, you know, again, I just think that this doctrine is something that has been uh, really in many ways diminished Mm -hmm. within even conservative evangelical circles, even conservative reformed circles, and so we need to rethink uh, our approach to the Lord's table and make sure that we are approaching the Lord in a way that honors Him, Mm -hmm. and I think that, you know, the final thing that I would say is sometimes people might say, well, you know, I think if we if we observe the Lord's Supper table every week, it's going to diminish Yeah, the I've heard that argument. I've heard that argument. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I would just push back against that. And, and I would say we preach every week, and we still have the same high view of preaching, and we sing every week, and we still have the same exact appreciation for singing, mm-hmm. and it doesn't become less special to us. Right. And so why would we say, well, the Lord's table would be less special if we observed that every week as well? I think we could be guilty of diminishing and having a diminished view of any aspect of our worship if we're not careful. But we shouldn't hold back or maybe perhaps even observe the Lord's table less frequently simply because we're worried that it will be less special to yeah. us. I don't think that that view really holds yeah. water. Well, it, it doesn't. I mean, in practical
0: application, that's not that's not been our experience. It really hasn't. Yeah. And uh, again, you, you definitely have to look at it for where you are, your context and the like, and, and just be be, be convicted by what, by what the Word of God has to say uh, about these issues. Man, it's great to have this conversation. I think it's going to be beneficial for those who uh, who listen and uh, who take advantage of, again, not only this uh, particular podcast, but all the resources that we have have uh, as well we want to encourage you to to like subscribe to share this content with others connect with us download the g3 app we just want to connect with you we have all the all the great things that we have we want to share with you Uh, we want you to participate and be a part of join us next time for another g3 podcast